0: All right. Welcome to Swing for the Fences. I'm your host, Andrew Shapiro. It is Friday, September 25th, coming to you from my apartment here in Manhattan. We're going to dive into the sports topics of the day. We're going to give you three segments today on on today's show. We're going to go through a a recap of uh, the Lakers Nuggets game Four Western Conference Finals game that aired last night. We're gonna dive into a casual fans um, guide to the MLB playoff race focusing on the National League wildcard race. And then finally, as always, we're gonna end the show with a an under the radar hidden gem, something for you guys to look out for that you may not be aware of in the sports world that could really pique your interest. So first we're gonna start with a like I said, recap of the Lakers Nuggets game four last night, the Lakers won, going up three1 in the series and taking control of the series. Everyone's talking about how Denver you know, as a joke, I guess they're joking on who knows that Denver has the Lakers exactly where they want them down three, one, uh, kind of where they thrive given that they came back from three, one deficits against Utah and the Clippers. Needless to say that the Lakers are a completely different beast. Don't necessarily see that happening again, this series, but to just go through some of the things that I noticed watching this game, you know, I think we have to start with Anthony Davis. Um, you know he's been a mismatch in each of these series. You think about going up against Portland. I know there was a lot of buzz about Portland with Damian Lillard with CJ McCollum. How are you gonna guard that backcourt? Um, you know they had no answer for Davis. Uh, you know you think about you know the next round with Houston. Okay, they go small. They actually have had a lot of success with this experiment where PJ Tucker is their center, their small ball five. They're kind of spreading the floor for Westbrook and Harden. They've had a lot of success. There aren't that many great big men in the league anymore, so why not go small, go all in on shooting threes? Okay, the one antidote to that strategy is Anthony Davis. Given that you know he's got the skill level of a wing, but in a seven-foot body, huge, huge mismatch. They had no answer for him in the entire Houston series, and then you come to this series against the Nuggets, and really, you know, it's down to I guess Paul Millsap, I guess Jeremy Grant. You know, those guys are either a little bit old and overmatched in Millsap's case. In Grant's case, he's just giving up a lot of height and skill uh, to Anthony Davis. So it's really interesting. You know, we talk about unicorns in this league all the time, whether it's Porzingis in Dallas, whether it's Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. We're always searching for, you know, the unicorn of the big guy who can stretch the floor and shoot threes and protect the rim and rebound and do all these, these different things. We've kind of become obsessed with creating this perfect – you know, basketball player of all of this this combination of skills. I think we've got a unicorn staring us right in the face. I mean, this is a guy in Davis that, like I said, seven foot body, wing skills, has a great handle, can step out uh, and and shoot from three, um, can drive to the hoop, has playmaking ability, is an underrated passer. Um, you know, you just see him as kind of a a, a matchup nightmare throughout these playoffs. You know, started the first half last night seven for seven, making his first uh, seven shots, you know, giving you kind of the the whole repertoire in terms of, like I said, his jump shot, his ability to attack the rim. He's really been the focal point of this offense. You know, LeBron last night was a, was was a little passive. I know his final line, you know, LeBron finished with 26, nine and eight. You look at that. OK, you know, what's what's the big deal? But you watch the game last night. LeBron was settling for a lot of jumpers seemed a little passive, a little unsure of himself. AD has really been the focal point of this offense for the Lakers um, throughout these playoffs, and deservedly so. So I just find it interesting, you know, we're always talking about unicorns. Like I said, seven-foot body with wing skills, plus all NBA defense, you know, finished in the top three. He was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. He could really be a Defensive Player of the Year finalist every single year if he plays up to his potential. So I just think you look at his skills on both the offensive – And defensive side of the court, and I think we have a unicorn, the definition of a unicorn in Anthony Davis right in front of our face. Another thing I found interesting, you know, Davis is putting up these numbers. He's he's shooting really efficiently, finished 10 of 15 from the field, 13 of 14 from the line, 34 points. But the announcers, especially Chris Weber on the broadcast last night, were killing him for the rebounds. You know, I I know one rebound in game three um, at at some point last night going into, I think the fourth quarter, he had only one or two rebounds. You know, my take on this is, who cares? You know, why are we killing this guy for for grabbing rebounds? We're, you know, I think we're a little obsessed sometimes with the stats. Is this guy putting up stats, 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 stats? You know, the fact is, the Lakers here—they finished the game 25 to six advantage in second chance points. They're plus 12 on the glass over Denver overall. So it's not like the the team is suffering rebounding-wise. You know, LeBron had nine boards. Dwight Howard had 11. Rondo even had five rebounds to go with Anthony Davis's five rebounds. So, you know, every time there was a pause in the game, everyone's like, oh, Anthony Davis, one rebound. What's he doing? He needs to get on the glass. You know, does he really? Is is it really that important? This guy is carrying the offensive load for the Lakers. He's, He's, you know, the high scorer for the team. Why does it matter if he's getting a rebound or Dwight Howard's getting a rebound? especially if the team overall is killing Denver on the glass and killing them in offensive rebounds, killing them a second chance points. Like why do we, why is that such a, a sticking point for these, for these guys? I know that Chris Weber, you know, he was a star in Sacramento. He was a power forward. He comes from that older generation of, you know, put yourself on the block and, and play down low. I just thought it was kind of a weird obsession. Like throughout the game, this guy is putting up huge scoring numbers and we're like, weirdly focused on the fact that he has two rebounds it it doesn't really matter you know if if the lakers were getting killed on the boards if they were minus 12 if this is the opposite and denver was actually out rebounding them if you watched the game you saw that they just could not grab a rebound then i get it you know, anthony davis you're seven feet tall box someone out grab a rebound but it wasn't that the lakers were losing rebounds it's just someone else on his team was grabbing the rebound so why are we so why why were they so obsessed with this guy you know, only having two rebounds if the team is, is winning the rebounding battle it just seemed like a little bit of a weird obsession for me. But I love watching Davis last night. I think, you know, he is the unicorn, the the the, the prototype of a unicorn. He's been a huge player in these playoffs. Side now talking about the Nuggets, You know, a, a couple things really stood out to me for them. I think first of all, kind of going on the negative side, I think it's really clear that there are a couple spots that this team really needs to upgrade if they want to get to where they want to be obviously this is a young team um, making the western conference finals was was further than anyone expected them to go so i'm not really blaming them there may be ahead of schedule here but you clearly have murray and Jokic as the two fundamental stars i just look at this lineup and i think that you can really see that there are clear spots to upgrade when it comes to the gary harris spot and the paul Millsap spot you know last night I know we, we're we talking about stats are and everything, but last night, you know, in a must-win game four, Paul Millsap, 17 minutes, five points. Gary Harris only played 19 minutes, one of five shooting, three points. Whenever he shoots it, I don't think the ball is going in. Just a really inconsistent shooter. And so when you talk about, like, you have those two fundamental stars, like I said, Murray and Jokic, and you're thinking about complementary pieces to surround them, I know that Michael Porter Jr., is an up and coming young player. I think he's going to be a starter next year for the team, kind of giving them a, a third option offensively. So now, if you assume that's the case, you have MPJ, you have Jokic, and you have Murray as three of the starters. Those are all great offensive players who are very limited defensively. And you start to think about, okay, in those two other starting spots, those need to be three and D wing guys who can really find a role as a complementary piece. And I just, Watching Harris, you know, the stat lines reflect about watching Harris, watching Millsap. I know Millsap has been a star in this league for a few years, but I think it is, you know, coming up on, on time for him. I think his career is coming to an end. I don't think he should be a starting power forward for a team that wants to compete for a championship. So, you know, you, you think about some of the pieces that that could maybe, fit in there, maybe Jeremy Grant, who's currently the starting small forward. I, I think he's a little bit overmatched as a starter. I think he is a solid complimentary piece, given that, you know, he brings a lot of energy. He's a, a, a solid defender. He brings a lot of length uh, and wingspan on the defensive side. He can knock down the occasional jumper. So I think he is a, is a good fit, maybe coming off the bench. I think he'd be a really good bench player. I think he's overmatched um, as a starting wing on a Western Conference Finals team. So whether it's through free agency, whether it's through the draft, whether it's through maybe trading MPJ and, and, and picking up complimentary pieces, it's just clear to me, you know, if you're the Nuggets, okay, you're happy with how far you've gone. How do you then take the next step? You have these two fundamental stars. You've got to fill in a team around them. I think there are two clear weaknesses in the starting lineup in Harris and Harrison Millsap. I think those are two players you can you know, afford to say goodbye to. And then the question is, how do you upgrade those spots to give Murray and Jokic uh, some more help? The other thing that really stood out to me, that was the first thing. The second thing is that, you know, for me, I think Murray has completely changed, um, you know, the the discussion around him. Um, and what I mean by that is before the bubble, at least my impression, I don't know what everyone else thinks. My impression is that this guy was an inconsistent performer, which are, with a huge amount of potential. You know, he could go off for for 30, 35, 40 points on one night, and then he'll you know, go three for 14 from the field the next night. So, uh, um, you know, a tantalizing uh, young player in terms of his talent and his potential, but someone who was not consistent at all. And now, you know, you look at him and, and you see him as maybe the star of the bubble in terms of how his reputation has changed pre-bubble. And then once this bubble ends, what we're gonna be thinking in terms of jamal murray you know leveling up really going from an inconsistent potentially star player to now you know he's on every highlight reel you know last night again in a must-win situation 12 of 20 so shooting 60 percent from the field 32 points eight assists a really solid performance made some some circus shots one with his left hand another one you know with with a rainbow jumper falling out of bounds uh he's just someone who in terms of just the way that I consider him, the way that I think about him, uh, you know, I expect him now to have these performances. Uh, and for someone who's such a young player, his the the outlook on him has changed so significantly. I think it's almost like when Donovan Mitchell came on the scene and his first playoffs you know, he struggled in the playoffs, but his first couple of seasons, we were so surprised and so happy with him. And, and now we kind of even this season expected Donovan Mitchell to be a star and he makes uh, the all-star team. I think Jamal Murray is kind of going to receive that Donovan Mitchell treatment next year where, you know, this season Denver's the 3 seed and it's like okay, it's Jokic and then everyone else. Jokic is the all-star and then they've got some some decent pieces but who can you really rely on? Next season, I think because of his playoff performances here with the way that Murray has played so well, I think next year we're going into the season thinking, okay, Denver, it's Jokic and Murray and then everyone else. So I think that just his reputation and the way that people are going to think about him is going to be completely changed. And it's gone from, you know, is his performance sustainable? That's the question I used to ask. We've gone from that to always thinking, yes, it is sustainable. And yes, he's a known quantity. So I think it's just, you know, the, the overall way you, I watch these games now when, you know, Denver's playing in these playoffs, I'm expecting Murray to go off. I'm expecting him to have, Uh, a solid performance I'm expecting him to to be a star and he's now you know in terms of you know the the game planning from the Lakers he's enemy number one he's at the top of the scouting report they're throwing everything at him to stop him and to stop Jokic and he's still played really well so I think the outlook on Murray has just changed uh has really changed completely. And speaking of things that, that are sustainable and are not sustainable, we're going to go into a segment called Good Sign, Bad Sign, where we kind of look at the the overall stats from Game 4 and think about what's a good sign, what's a bad sign in terms of going forward for this series. Like I said, the Lakers are now up 3-1. Based on the Game 4 performance, is there anything that that jumps out here? So I guess, unfortunately, I have three bad signs for the Nuggets. They're all bad, and that's why I think that they're not going to repeat their their 3-1 recovery that they've had in prior series. First bad sign. Like I mentioned before, they got killed uh, in rebounding. Second chance points for the Lakers were 25 to six. The Lakers were plus 12 on the glass overall. And they're also plus eight on the free throw line. And you look at the the makeup of these rosters. And I love Jokic, but he's not a great rebounder uh, in terms of controlling the glass. They don't really have the size to match up with a Davis, with a Howard. Um, you know, w- w- even with LeBron being a great round- rebounder as well. So I think this is a sustainable advantage for the Lakers. That 25 to six is a huge discrepancy in second chance points, but you could kind of see that coming. Plus 12 in the glass, again, a huge advantage for the Lakers, but you can kind of see that coming. I don't see that going away going forward. Bad sign for the Nuggets, um, I think, on the glass, but also, you know, in terms of the Lakers' ability to attack the rim being plus eight in terms of free throws made. Um, I see that also being a sustainable Good sign for the Lakers, a bad sign for the Nuggets. So rebounding and free throws, definitely going the Lakers' way. I don't see that changing. Bad sign for the Nuggets going forward. Second bad sign for Denver is kind of the, the scoring for the Lakers. And you look at it, they score 114 last night, 60 points combined for AD and LeBron. That's easy. That, you can pencil them in for 60. If they don't combine for 60, then one of them or both of them played poorly. You know, Davis scoring 34, like I said, as a unicorn, that's definitely something he can always do. LeBron scoring 26 and kind of even uh, it's, it was kind of a quiet 26 so he can definitely even play better than that I think they score 60 points you pencil that in every time and so the question is where's the rest of the scoring coming from the Lakers and you look at four other Lakers scored in double figures last night you know you had 12 from Howard 13 from Caldwell Pope 10 from Kuzma 11 from Rondo you know are any of those stat lines in terms of scoring really that outrageous is it really outrageous for Kuzma to score 10 or for Dwight Howard to score 12 on offensive rebounds and dunks or Caldwell Pope to score 13 on, on wide open jumpers. And so for me, that's a bad sign for Denver because you know, 60 points for LeBron and Davis, they could really up that if they wanted to, they could really score more than that uh, combined. And then they let, you know, the, the supporting cast of the Lakers go off as well. So if you're going to give up 60 to the stars, and then another 54 to the supporting cast with four and double figures. And, and none of those role players like really played out of their minds uh, going forward. It's a really bad time for Denver because that's sustainable offensive performance for the Lakers. Third bad time for Denver, you know, is something that they did. They shoot 50 percent from the field. That's really good. They're even on three pointers made with the Lakers. Both teams made 10 threes. So 50 percent from the field there. They play them even in terms of threes and then they still lose. Um, Bad sign for Denver just because I think the Lakers are a much better defensive team. I think assuming that you're going to be able to shoot 50% from the field every single night against the Lakers is a mistake. It's a it's a bad assumption to make. Denver's not always going to shoot 50% from the field. And to, to, to shoot that well and be even with the Lakers on threes and still come up short, uh, bad sign for Denver because I don't think they're going to shoot that well again. And if this is a game in the – In the low 100s, I think that that favors the Lakers. So another bad sign for Denver. Denver, Three bad signs in terms of what's sustainable going forward in this series. That's why I think the Lakers will close it out in either five or six games. All right, the next segment on today's podcast is a casual fan's guide to the MLB playoff race. We're going to focus specifically on the National League wildcard race to quickly refresh your memory because of this weird season, 60-game season, very strange season. They've actually expanded the playoff race where eight teams in each league make the playoffs, so you have the top two teams in each of the three divisions automatically make it, so that's six of the eight, and then the two next best teams for the entire league also make the playoffs for a total of eight spots. In the NL, we're going to focus on the NL because as of right now, the fifth through tenth best best teams in the National League are separated by only two games. So you have six teams fighting for four spots, all separated by two games. And this is really the best part of baseball. I know it's a sport that's really, for me at least, sometimes very boring, definitely trending more told towards uh, an older demographic. But this playoff race is, is really the most exciting part of the sport. You know, it's all coming down to the wire this weekend. The regular season is going to end by Sunday. So again, we have these six teams all fighting against each other, within a three-day period here coming up Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to determine who's going to win, who's going to earn those four final playoff spots. So, again, as a neutral, I just wanted to give some guidance on, on who I'm rooting for. So we have the six teams here. I don't really care about St. Louis, Milwaukee, San Francisco. I thought about Philadelphia rooting for them just because I like Bryce Harper. I like his attitude, the the enthusiasm, and, and the unique um, personality that he brings to the sport. But that really wasn't enough. Either. So I really identified one team I'm rooting for and one team I'm rooting against. The team I'm rooting for is Cincinnati. I think that they could be a really dangerous team if they make the playoffs. They have a three headed monster in terms of their great rotation, where they have Trevor Bauer, um, Luis Castillo, and also Sonny Gray. All of them have been great this season. Bauer's actually a Cy Young candidate with a 173 ERA. So I really think I'm, I'm rooting for them because they could really be dangerous. I don't think any team. Uh, wants to face them in the playoffs with those three great uh, quality starting pitchers bauer also is really attractive to me in terms of a personality and in a really boring sport where you know he says exactly what's on his mind he's never going to sugarcoat it for you he's a bit of a troll on social media so take that for what you for what you what you want but you know he's always going to give you um exactly what he's thinking very smart guy Really unique and kind of kind of quirky personality, but again, someone who makes things exciting both on the field and off the field. I'm also happy that you know Joey Votto, who's been a legend of this game for for many years. He's been on this, this team for Cincinnati his entire career. The team has been awful the last few seasons. So uh, one of the cha- one of the things I like about this team is giving Votto the chance to make the playoffs in kind of the twilight of his career. So I'll be rooting for Cincinnati in terms of the team I'm, I'm rooting against. That's going to be the Miami Marlins, unfortunately. And this is nothing against the players or even the manager, Don Mangley. I think they have done a great job of exceeding expectations. This team was expected to be one of the worst teams in all of baseball, was expected to finish last in the NL East. The fact that they're, that they're in a fight for a playoff spot speaks a lot to these players really exceeding expectations. There are a lot of anonymous players that you've never heard of on here. For, so for them to kind of come together and, and really perform better than anyone thought, you would think would be a good story. But you've got to consider the context of this team and that's the fact that this franchise you know acquires some talent they have a little bit of success and then they have a history of just tearing down uh any successful team that they have and kind of going through a fire sale we saw this after they won the world series in 1997 we saw this after they won the world series in 2003 you know recently you think that this team had Giancarlo Stanton, Marcelo Zuna, and then Christian Yelich—all three of them in the same outfield on the same team—traded them all away before they needed to. So this is a team that I know that you know the the prior ownership team of, of of Jeffrey Loria and company were really the bad guys here, and they're no longer in the picture. But I still have my guard up when it comes to Miami. You know, in terms of how this team is run from the front office, how this team is run from the ownership group, I don't like. Franchises that put their fans through a roller coaster. You know, if, if you're a fan of Miami, I, I can't imagine how heartbreaking it is to see your team have have some success and then see, you know, uh, self sabotage where the the front office decides to just tear it down and sell all trade off all the all the good players on the team and to do it repeatedly. You know, I know that teams in sports tank, but to to make the distinction between you know the six, 76ers in basketball, for example. The 76ers tanked, that was Sam Hickey's philosophy, I understand that, but this would be the equivalent of the 76ers tanking for three years, drafting Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and then trading them away for role players for no reason, before they even had to. And so because this franchise, the Miami Marlins, is so cheap, because they don't really care about their fans, they don't really care about creating sustained success on the field, I just can't reward that as a neutral fan by deciding to root for them in these playoffs. So, again, rooting for Cincinnati, rooting against Miami. um, That's my very quick and brief uh, guide to the NL wildcard race. I think it's going to be really exciting. I I encourage you to watch this weekend. And last but not least, last segment of the show today. As promised, I'm going to give you an under-the-radar hidden gem for you to look out for uh, in the sports world that you may not have been aware of. So far, and in today's episode, that hidden gem is Leeds United in the Premier League. To quickly give you some context, this is a team that was just promoted. So in soccer, international soccer, and in the Premier League, they have relegation and promotion, which means that each season, three new teams join the first division um, uh, in soccer, and three teams are relegated. So it's the equivalent of, you know, in basketball, if the Kings, the Knicks, and the Timberwolves were relegated, and then three teams from the G League were promoted. So Leeds United is one of the teams that was promoted this season. They're a new team in the Premier League, and I wanted to bring them to your attention because they are so much fun to watch. They're high scoring. They're no fear, balls to the wall. They're going to play attacking soccer. They're going to score a ton of goals. Both of their games so far in the Premier League have been four four to three scorelines. They won one game four to three. They lost the game four to three. So 14 goals over two games. You're not going to find that really with any other Premier League squad. Um, is it the smartest philosophy in terms of having sustained success in the most um, competitive league in the world? Maybe not. But just as a neutral fan, I could not get enough of watching this team. If you want to learn more about them, they have, there's actually a really great documentary on Amazon about Leeds United that was shot two seasons ago when they were in the second division of England. Uh, There's a huge history with this club. They used to be one of the most successful teams um, in the first division of English soccer. They unfortunately got relegated. They had um, several years where they um, really struggled on the field. And so it's been a long time since they made it back to the first division, made it back to the Premier League after really toiling in, in the second and third divisions of English soccer for a long time. So It's really a great story in terms of this, this club with a rich history in this sport, finally making their way back to the mountaintop, to the, the best league in the world. Really great documentary on Amazon. I'd recommend checking that out. They have a crazy genius manager named Marcelo Bielsa, who has a great international reputation. So If you like you know, managers that have a lot of personality, that's another reason to watch this team, they have the most man buns on a single team of any team in in the Premier League. I think I counted three or four. Personally, not really my style, but you know I couldn't really pull it off. But if you're someone who really likes that, who likes some creative flair, who likes some some style on your soccer players, this is the team for you as well. Um, I mentioned you know their ball to wall style and the fact that they've had four three games, four to three games in each of their first two contests in the first two matches of of the season. One of those four to three games was against liverpool so this is a team in leeds united who is playing against the reigning premier league champions playing against one of the best teams in the entire world in liverpool and they're taking the game to them they're finishing with a 4-3 scoreline. you know i was watching that game i've n- i don't remember another team in the league really challenging liverpool and really having less fear than leeds united did now yes they gave up four goals they ultimately lost the game but they had Liverpool on their heels for parts of this. They had Liverpool a little scared. You know, No one really steps to Liverpool like that. The fact that they were able to put three goals past a defensive team with Virgil van Dijk and Allison and that was really impressive to me. If you're looking for standout players, Calvin Phillips um, is their, their central midfielder, kind of pulls the, the strings for them, is a really versatile player in terms of defensively but also having a great passing ability to kind of set up his teammates. Helder Costa is a, a right winger for this team scored two goals in their most recent match, which was a win against Fulham really exciting player. Great quickness, great speed coming in off the right flank. Someone I really like watching. And then on the flip side, someone to watch in terms of being a bad player, Robin Koch uh, is their, their new signing. He's their central defender. He came from the Bundesliga in Germany he was supposed to kind of shore up their defense as they entered the premier league. He's been comically bad so far, just kind of, running around like a chicken with his head cut off. So if you want someone who's entertaining and will keep you engaged, maybe for the wrong reasons, uh, in terms of screaming at your TV, conscious someone to definitely watch out for. In terms of their upcoming matches, the one to circle, they're playing Manchester City on October 3rd. So in about a week's time, they're going to play, again, another case of playing one of the best teams in the world, managed by Pep Guardiola, another offensive tech attacking team with um, – a personality of spreading the ball around, scoring a lot of goals that Manchester City has. I'm really curious to see if Leeds United kind of tries to take it to them the way that they tried to take it to Liverpool. Is it going to be another high-scoring match, really entertaining match? Definitely a game to watch, to circle on your calendar. So that's Leeds United, uh, a hidden gem for you um, to look out for going forward. All right, so that's a wrap for this episode of Swing for the Fences. Hope you enjoyed our recap of the Lakers-Nuggets game four in the Western Conference Finals, Uh, the casual fan's guide to the NL playoff race, and then finally providing you with an under-the-radar hidden gem, Leeds United. Check them out in the Premier League. Um, Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you guys soon. Peace.